This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. More than half of men in their 60s and up to 90% of men in their 70s and 80s experience symptoms associated with BPH. And it represents more than 3.7 million Canadian men. And experts believe that genetics, lifestyle, diet, and inflammation all play a role. So the good news is changing your lifestyle, improving your diet, managing blood sugar levels, losing weight, and exercising all play a role in helping to control it. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll discuss your partner's prostate health. We'll hear how technology can impact your sleep. We'll learn about colon health and your digestion. And lastly, we'll find out about wound care during COVID-19. But first, a little bit of business. Gentlemen, are prostate problems spoiling your day or waking you up at night? Ladies, are you tired of these disruptions? Discover Prostate Perform. Formulated with clinically proven natural ingredients, Prostate Perform helps reduce the frequency and urgency of men's bathroom breaks. Why wait? Prostate Perform relieves symptoms of BPH in men so you can both get back to enjoying your favorite activities. Available exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. And to ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Andrea Donsky is a registered holistic nutritionist with 20 years experience in natural health and wellness. She's the co-founder and editor-in-chief of NaturallySavvy.com and a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thanks for having me again, Jamie. I love talking to you. Yeah, it's always nice to chat. And, you know, we're chatting about a topic... It's interesting. You're here. We're talking about what is predominantly, if not completely, a men's health issue, and that is prostate health. So so why are you here today? Explain it. Explain yourself, madam. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm doing it. All right. So it's a great question. And the thing is this. I'll be married 21 years next month, and I have a son. Yep. So it's important for me to understand potential issues that can affect the prostate gland, right? So I look at it as something similar to snoring. Yeah. It's funny. I recently told my husband that he snores yeah. and that he should get it checked out. And yep. his response was, I don't hear myself snoring. I don't yeah. snore. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, funny response on his part, but not so funny because as his wife and the mother, because I mentioned I have a son, I do feel it's my responsibility to make him aware of it and help in any way I can. Yeah. I mean, when I carried the extra weight, I was snoring all the time. And there are certain health risks that if you're not aware of it, you know, it's important as a partner to see it, right? Like you can, yeah. you know, that being said, I tell Naomi that she snores sometimes when she doesn't just to keep her honest, you know? So. <laughs> I'm sure she loves that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it is important. Obviously, you know, everybody loves their partner. Hopefully they love their partners and you, and you want to see them healthy because it's, yeah. you know, we're all under more stress and, and it's important, you know, as a team, right? You're healthier as a team if both members are, are healthy. So that it's yeah. a good thing, right? And the thing is that there's so much research out now like i mean obviously uh, we're talking about prostate gland but yeah. you're mentioning snoring there's so much research now on snoring that it's important that you get things checked out and just just don't let it be right. go to the doctor speak to your doctor your healthcare provider to find out what the underlying issue is right and this is timely too because it's november november so men's health issues are obviously prominent but for those who don't understand the issue let's talk about the prostate gland and what may happen so Let's start at the bare bones. Sure. So the 
prostate is a gland that's the size of a walnut, right? So it surrounds the urethra, and it's essential for male reproduction. That's kind of how you could think about it. So as men age, an enzyme called 5-alpha reductase is produced in the body, and it affects the size of the prostate because it converts to testosterone, which then converts to dihydrotestosterone, or DHT. Now, a mouthful, even hard for me to say. (laughs) But basically, DHT speeds up cell growth within the prostate gland, causing it to get bigger. And very high levels of DHT can lead to benign prostate hyperplasia, also known as BPH, which is a non-cancerous abnormal cell growth of the prostate gland. I just want to pause there. So when we're talking about prostate health, we aren't like there's cancer and then there's BPH and they are two different things. And Two different things that have similar symptoms. Correct. Which we're going to talk about, yeah. Yeah, okay. So BPH, anything else we need to know? Okay, so, well, it's, it's actually a very common thing. So, you know, if you're listening right now and you're like, well, I don't think it can affect me, it's actually very common. According to the Canadian Urological Association, more than half of men in their 60s and up to 90% of men in their 70s and 80s experience symptoms associated with BPH. So, it's a, like I said, it's a very common thing. And it represents more than 3.7 million Canadian men. And experts believe, listen to this, this is so interesting, that genetics, lifestyle, diet, and inflammation all play a role. So the good news is changing your lifestyle, improving your diet, like eating whole, unprocessed foods, staying away from sugar, limiting red meat and dairy, managing blood sugar levels, very, very important about the blood sugar, losing weight and exercising all play a role in helping to control it. Let's talk about BPH and how it manifests. So if you have BPH, like what are you experiencing? So as the prostate gland grows, like we talked about a little bit earlier, it applies pressure on the urethra and the bladder. Which is right now. Common symptoms. Yeah, they're right next door. So, So as it gets bigger, there's less room and it sort of restricts the flow, as it were. Exactly. So what happens with that is that it can lead to common symptoms like having trouble going to the bathroom or peeing, a weak stream, having a sudden urge to pee, stopping and starting while urinating, and frequent urination, meaning you're going a lot and it's even waking you up during the night. And that's the big one, right? As you get older, uh, men find themselves waking up more and more in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom with less satisfactory response. Well, that's it. And I think the key, what you want to pay close attention to is that if you notice that it's disruptive, in your day. So as a woman listening or for your men who are listening, when it becomes something that's disruptive for you, for example, you can't sit through a movie or you can't sit through Sunday's football game or you don't want to go for a walk or do other activities because you're concerned that you'll have to go to the bathroom, that's when it becomes something like, hey, wait, I need to go see my doctor and find out what's going on, right? So even for women who are listening right now, if your husband or partner or son or somebody that, you know, in your life does not, or male friend doesn't, they're not talking to you about it, pay attention to it and ask questions because they may not go seek, you know, their doctor's advice. They might not go see, go for a checkup, but it's something that you could recommend to them, especially if they're exhibiting a lot of the symptoms or all the symptoms we talked about. Okay. So basically you might have BPH if you have those symptoms. So let's just quickly go over them one more time. Absolutely. Okay. So having trouble going to the bathroom. Yep or urinating, so a weak stream, having a sudden urge to pee, so you really have to go, and it has to be like right the second, Mm -hmm. stopping and starting while you're urinating, and frequent urination, meaning you're going to the bathroom a lot, and it's waking you up throughout the night. Okay, so this is indicia that you might have it, and then the protocol would be to go to your doctor and get a diagnosis. That's crucial, right? Absolutely. Now, the thing to note is that it actually has very similar signs. So BPH has very similar signs to prostate cancer, right? So other than painful urination and blood in the urine. So these are the things. And, you know, Jamie, I'm a true believer that if there's something that's not feeling right to you, you know your body best. And if something is off, 
go seek professional help. Go to the doctor, go to your healthcare provider, you know, find out what's going on. Don't just let it continue on and just be like, yeah, it'll go away on its own. You definitely want to make sure that you get a proper diagnosis. And, you know, I guess that's kind of the theme of the show today, right? Because a lot of men, and I happen to be in this camp, like, we don't necessarily respond to what our body is telling us, right? Like it kind of takes our partners to say, Hey, you know, you have that back pain or, you know, you haven't really taken care of those muscle cramps or whatever it might be because as men, you know, sometimes we just don't want to, or, you know, we're nervous about the thought of, you know, a diagnosis. So we don't act on it. You know, and I I love that you're mentioning that because I think, yes, men tend to not seek help or medical help as much as women would. But I think the key is that men take responsibility for their health. We all need to take responsibility for our health, right? So, you know, I I mentioned Rich or my husband earlier on in the interview, and he, you know, with the snoring, and I kind of made a joke, but actually Rich is pretty good. Like if he feels that something's going on, He'll go to the doctor. He may not even mention to me that he's going to the doctor, but he'll make a yeah. doctor's appointment and go. So I really want that to be an inspiration for, for your listeners because I think it's an important thing for everyone, including men, to take responsibility for their health. Yeah, no, I, I don't mean to be reinforcing gender stereotypes, right? Like, you know, we're all resp- at the end of the day, it's not what the wife does, not what the husband does or the female partner or the male partner or whatever. Like at the end of the day, it's you. And, and as you said, exactly. you know your body best. So if these things are happening... You got to take care of it. That being We're the said, captain of our own ship. Exactly. That being said, if you're the first mate and you see your captain isn't responding, maybe you could help them along. So let's move forward a bit. So let's say, for argument's sake, your doctor confirms that you do have BPH. What's next? Okay. So there are prescription drugs that yep. he can take or you can take. Yep. There's also surgery for extreme cases. However, most of the time, it's more of a watch and wait approach, meaning getting yearly checkups with your doctor and making lifestyle changes similar to what we talked about a little bit earlier. Now, there are also natural supplements or nutraceuticals that you can take during that phase of that watch and wait phase, and it'll help to reduce the swelling. So, for example, there are 35-plus human trials on saw palmetto for helping urinary tract symptoms. But the key is you only want to make, you want to make sure that you're taking it in high concentrations, meaning 95% fatty acid content. Mm-hmm. And are there other sort of natural ingredients or supplements that have proven to work? Yeah, like there's something called plant sterols that can help reduce inflammation. There's rye flower pollen. That's another ingredient to look for. It's been researched, well-researched for reducing urinary frequency. And of course, the uh, stars, the vitamins and minerals like selenium, zinc, vitamin D3, and B6. These are all important that you can, ingredients that you can get, uh, whether you're taking it as a supplement or even in your diet. Okay. So like you mentioned lifestyle choices earlier in our interview, let's be clear, like the lifestyle choices will help with your general health. And, you know, if your general health is better, that will help with issues such as prostate health. But, you know, exercising more doesn't mean you're going to reverse BPH, right? Like that's not what we're saying, right? Like exercise in a good diet helps, but, you know, supplementation and medication and treatment is probably going to be necessary, correct? Exactly. So there's nothing guaranteed of anything, right? So yeah. there's so many things that come into play. So genetics, like you talked about, uh, lifestyle, diet, uh, inflammation, like things that are going on in your body. Right. So like anything, it can all help. It doesn't hurt, right? So yeah. if you have an issue and you know that, let's say, a food is causing it and you re- like eliminate that food from your diet because that's now going to help reduce the inflammation in your body, all of that is very helpful. So yeah, there's never a guarantee, but what we do know is 
changing your diet up, eliminating the offending foods, eliminating the foods that are creating the inflammation in the first place, all of that, exercising more to get your, you know, your body into good shape, all of that plays a role to help control it. Can it cure anything? Of course not. We would never say something like that. Okay, so let's talk about these supplements. So, you know, if listeners are curious about the supplements, what sort of comfort can we give them that these are tried and true? Like, have people investigated and are there studies regarding these products? Oh my God, absolutely. Human studies, in fact. Okay. Yeah, which are the best. (laughs) (laughs) So what else would you recommend in the circumstances, like based on your experience and what you've learned in looking at this? You know, if you if you want to eat properly and specifically for the prostate gland, so we talked about, you know, the vitamins and minerals like selenium, yeah. zinc, D3, B6. So I would say go for foods that have them in it. So, for example, Brazil nuts, yep. they contain selenium. Have a couple of Brazil nuts every single day. Pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin, it's, it's hello. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. we, you know, we're, we're in and around Halloween. So yeah. there's a lot of, there's a number of fall. So there are pumpkins are abundant. Yep. Pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds for zinc. Bananas, oats, you want lean chicken, all of that is great for your B6, and fish and eggs for your D3. And you can also take supplemental D3 if you wanted to as well. And then you can also, again, you know, Jamie, like we talked about, from the supplement standpoint, you can look for a supplement. So if you're like, oh, you know what, I'm going to eat all my food, but I really want something that's easy to take everything in like one shot, yeah. <laughs> which I understand because convenience is very important. You know, so there are there are supplements out there that come in the right dosage. And that's the important part. So like I mentioned about the saw palmetto, you want to make sure that you get the dosage that's appropriate, right? So that's the, the 95% fatty acid content. And the concentrations play a huge role in actually helping with BPH and controlling it, right? So you can also look for a supplement that has all the nutrients that he needs in it, which is more convenient. And in many cases, it works well for us because also it has the right dosage. And that's important, like I mentioned with saw palmetto. So New Roots Herbal, they have a product called Prostate Perform that you can find at any health food store. Now, obviously, I haven't tried it myself, (laughs) but the company shared some data with me showing how men see results in as little as 7 to 10 days, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, and that's really the key with BPH, right? Once you start looking into the treatment and dealing with it head on, you should see results very quickly. You know, and like you said, Jamie, earlier, and I think the key is taking control of your health. If you see something that's going on and you're, you're like, hey, this isn't, this wasn't like, it wasn't like this, you know, even a month ago or a couple of weeks ago, go see your doctor, go see a healthcare professional, find out what's going on and then implement lifestyle changes, diet changes, nutraceuticals, all these things can help you and um, help to improve, hopefully help to improve your symptoms of BPH. Yeah. And, you know, I would say this, if you are a spouse, partner, girlfriend, whatever, and you somebody that you care about, you think maybe they're suffering from this issue. You know, if I were that person, how would I respond to my partner sort of coaxing me? I might be grumpy at first, like, you know, just leave me alone. It's fine. I'll, you know, I'll deal with it. But I think if you, you know, you might even want to direct them to a website. You might want to direct them to this talk show or the podcast for this and have them listen for themselves. Because, you know, I think once your partner hears how uh, that this is actually a problem that is easily treatable, I think they'll be much more amenable to actually seeking that treatment and following through with it. And at the end of the day, that's really what you're looking for, right? You, we're all looking for everybody to be healthier and better. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, you know what I do? I send texts to my kids. I send texts to my husband. I'm like, here, here's some research. Here, check out this article. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah. it's arming them with the education, right? So that way you don't, you know, we're not 
telling them what to do as opposed to sharing information, which is pretty much what you just said, which is why I love what you said. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. That was Andrea Donsky. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss technology and your sleep on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. I'm so cozy here with you. Let's be together every day. We will. You're my Ultramatic adjustable bed. We'll be together forever. Just you and me. And my husband. Oh, uh, yeah, him too. Ultramatic's Lumber Booster technology can reduce back pain and improve quality of sleep. Learn more at ultramatic.ca, then try it in Ontario's safest mattress store at Lawrence and Bathurst. Ultramatic, elevate your life. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Adar Shah nurtured the rise of Ultramatic, the iconic Canadian brand of adjustable beds and maker of delightful wellness products. He received his bachelor's degree in engineering at Cornell University, graduating magna cum laude in 1999. After graduation, Adarsh joined the Monitor Group, a Cambridge-based strategy consulting company. He worked for them in Toronto, New York, and Mumbai offices on various corporate strategy, market entry, and merger and acquisition projects. He is a proud Torontonian, having lived here for over 30 years, albeit with a few adventurous years in New York and in between. He's also the father of two mischievous girls and caregiver to his happy, healthy, and wine-loving parents. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? I'm fantastic, Jamie. Wonderful. So a couple of members of my family have been buying these new iWatches and various other pieces of technology. And they are tracking their sleep with these devices and bragging about it to everybody who listens. It's like CrossFit. Whoever's doing CrossFit talks about it. And whoever has these smart watches talk about how it tracks their sleep. So I thought it would be helpful if you came on the show today and explained to us, like, what's going on? What is it tracking? And is it really useful? (laughs) Well, I completely agree with you. And I actually like it, you know, whether they're good or not. I like that people are talking more about sleep. True. Sleep yeah. is really important. But technology is certainly changing how we think about sleep and how we sleep. It's a dual-edged sword uh, because it can both enhance and disrupt our sleep if we're not careful. Exactly. So these uh, smartwatches, you know, chances are that if you have a smartwatch or even a fitness tracker, say from Fitbit or Garmin, yep. chances are that you it already has sleep tracking built into it already. So, you know, and, and what we call these are, we call them wearables. If not, you know, smartwatches, we call them wearables. And what they do is they take periodic measurements of your heart rate to measure your activity or your sleep cycle. And okay. changes in your heart rate and movement tell the wearable what part of your sleep cycle you're in or if your sleep is interrupted. Right. So the types of issues that it's looking at is the amount of deep sleep that you're getting, which is where the body regenerates itself and is necessary for our peace of mind so that we're not loopy when we wake up. And I'm told also, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, issues like apnea might be trackable with these devices. 
Yes. These devices, at their core, measure your heart rate. Yep. But some of the other uh, devices that you can get also measure sound. Uh, they measure movement and how you're breathing. So, you know, at the, at the basic core, what they have is these LED lights that they flash onto your skin yes. hundreds of times per second. And using light sensors, the watch measures how your blood flows through your wrist each minute. And that, that basically measures your heart rate. But they often have other sensors that measure breathing, temperature, humidity, all kinds of things today. The new one, uh, the new iWatch, it can track uh, your blood oxygen levels, I'm told. Uh, That's right. Which is, you know, people who may or may not have COVID, uh, blood oxygen levels is an important tracker just because of the way the disease attacks the body. So, I mean, I don't know how accurate they are, but that's what's being touted. Yes, I have my doubts as to how effectively they'll be able to measure COVID. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, wasn't it Donald Trump who said that, you know, you could shine the light Onto your onto your skin, yeah. or uh, put Clorox into your blood flow yeah, to, I, I, to, to I, cure you from COVID. I don't listen to the Donald to get my health <laughs> advice. That's for sure. But I, I guess you could call this a primary diagnostic tool, right? So, like, if it's showing that you're not getting the proper amount of deep sleep, obviously this is something that should be followed up upon. And you know, my recommendation would be to go see you know your health practitioner if your device, if your wearable is showing that you're having issues with sleep, right? Yes, I, I think you're 100% right. It's a great primary diagnostic tool. And the consensus has been that, that these sleep trackers have been fairly accurate at tracking things like the moment that you fall asleep and the, the moment that you wake up. And, and certainly my personal experience is that it captures it correctly within the minute, if not within 30 seconds. Really? Okay, yes. so, so what have you found out? You want to share? Like, are, are you a good sleeper? Yes, you know what? I I would say that I would be, let's call it in the top 10 to 20 percentile wow. of sleepers. You know, that's my guess, just judging from my own friend circle and my family. But I actually have two devices that measure my sleep. What are you using? Um, I'm using a, a watch, a smartwatch from Y-Things. Yep. And I'm using a non-wearable device from a Vancouver-based company called TalkTech. What does that one do? So that one sits underneath your bed frame, usually under the leg of your bed frame, and through the vibrations in the bed frame, it can measure your heart rate incredibly. It can measure your heart rate and uh, as well as a few other vital signs and tell you how you're sleeping. So you're saying there are devices here that aren't even wearables where you can track it, right? Like, so th there's both wearables and non-wearables for those who might be concerned about like wearing a watch to bed, right? 100%. You know, the, the Apple Watch is a bit of a, a bulky device. So is the Samsung Watch. And, and they actually need to be charged every day or so. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I saw that I think the charge is, what, 18 hours on the newest version? Which means That's that right. it has to be, you have to take it off at some point, right? <laughs> exactly. And so that a lot of people don't want to wear them at night, you know, understandably so. Right. Um, so there are other options. Of course, you have the one that I use, which is a very lightweight watch and doesn't need to be charged for three to four weeks mm -hmm. from a, a company called Y-Things out of Scandinavia. I have one of their scales, which is terrific because it, yes. it, I don't know if you have that one, but it's digital and it tracks uh, carbon dioxide in the air, your you know weight trends, which will forward the data and your heart rate as well, your resting heart rate. So uh, Yes. And the, all these platforms, including Y-Things, integrate into 
all these devices, my, my apologies, all these devices, including why things integrate into larger platforms with things like smart scales and uh, even blood pressure monitors. Yep. So they can be quite part of a, a, a whole health monitoring system for yourself. Okay. But so, another, uh, if I could mention, another sure. product which is really gaining momentum right now is a smart ring from a company called Aura. And it's a beautiful, simple, metallic-looking ring that you obviously wear on your finger, and it measures your heart rate from the blood flow in your finger. Huh. So it's both a bit of a piece of jewelry. Yeah. Uh, it's a conversation starter for many people, and it's uh, small enough that it doesn't uh, come in the way while you sleep. So for those who are listening, uh, the show notes for this interview, we're going to put up links to all these products if you're interested. So let's move on from products, and let's talk a bit about sleep hygiene and how it pertains to electronics. Yes. So, you know, having all this information and, and data is great. However, A, you want to be able to use the information from your sleep tracking to benefit and improve your sleep. And B, most more importantly, you don't want it to actually disrupt your sleep. Right. So, you know, when we talk about, uh, let's talk about good some good bedtime habits first with regards to all these devices. Sure. Well, you know, one thing I recommend to everyone is to put your phone on silent and even on airplane mode, if you can, when you go to bed. And you yes. can set that automatically uh, using the settings of your phone, so you don't have to do it every night. It just happens automatically. Yeah, that's a good idea. I know people who, who ban the devices. For, you know, for a lot of people, it's not necessarily appropriate or doable, but they just don't even bring the phones into their room in the first place. It's, it's you know, they don't want to be tempted, you know, with late night Instagram scanning, et cetera. You know? That's right. That's right. Not everyone can do that, yeah. but uh, 100%. If you can avoid all devices in your bedroom, I, I mean, I don't even have a television in my bedroom because I want to avoid that temptation of watching TV and binging on Netflix through the night. Yeah, I, I mean, there's the, the literal uh, negative of watching TV too late or being on your phone too late when you should be sleeping. That's obvious. What's less obvious is what is the effect of staring at a screen late at night, how that impacts your sleep? And you know the the problem with looking at a screen is there's it's how the light impacts your eyes and how it tricks the mind into thinking that it isn't nighttime and time for sleep. So what happens is those people who are on their phones right before they go to sleep, they're actually finding it. It takes them longer to actually fall asleep because of the light patterns that were flashing into their brain, for lack of a better explanation. You're you're absolutely right, and it's stunning. Uh, they've actually done scientific experiments uh, on the effects, and what they've discovered is, is that it's that blue light yep. that emanates from your phone, which triggers your brain into thinking that it's not nighttime, that it's you know it's time to stay awake. So one of the things that I always recommend is that if you do enjoy reading before you go to bed, which I, I do recommend, mm -hmm. is that you find an e-reader which has a night mode setting that allows it to uh, put your text on a black background um, and, and put your brightness to this minimum setting. Yes. And if you don't have that technology, I would just say put the phone away and turn off the TV an hour before you're going to sleep. And that, you know, that's the low tech answer. That should help you fall asleep faster. 100%. If you don't mind, I'll tell you a little story about sure. my daughter. And basically, it's, it's a story about how technology is affecting children's sleep uh, and, and what we can do and how we should be aware of it. 
Um, my daughter is an avid re- reader. She's 10 years old, and she gets through about three to four books a week. Good for her. It's fantastic. You know, every week a new box arrives from Amazon filled with books, and, and we're running out of shelf space. <laughs> so, so one day I suggested to my wife, why don't we buy our daughter an e-reader like a Kindle yep. and have her digitally download all these books at a fraction of the cost and uh, reduce the towers of books that seem to pile up in her room? Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounded like a sensible idea, but my wife was adamantly against it. And I think now rightly so after I heard her reasoning. You see, kids are already in such an electronic, connected world, especially now with COVID, with many of their classes online. She said that she wants our daughter to enjoy the sensory process of holding a physical book. Yes. Feeling those, you know, coarse and smooth pages between her fingers and and having that weight shift in your hands as you get to the end of the book. I think that's something that's that's really nice. You know, you know you're at the end of the book when you can barely hold the book in your fingers because it's too heavy on one side. I agree. You know, and you know, I have to tell you, as a magazine publisher who still prints, I applaud you and your wife for taking that approach. I think a lot of people are turned off by the Kindles because they miss the tactile experience of, of reading a book. And, and I think there's value. And, you know, I'm I'm reading myself, although online, that books are making a resurgence. People, you know, are buying more books simply because they miss that tactile experience. But as you've just explained, there's health reasons why that might be the right choice. Absolutely. And then I think that habits form from an early age. So we want our daughter not to end her night with screen time. You know, plug your phone, if you have to have it beside your bed, plug your phone or or your device into its charger or a USB port, uh, as many of our adjustable beds come with. But turn them off, grab your book, and end your night with a a book, not a device. Fantastic. As she turns into a teenager with teen hormones, we'd like to make sure she gets as much sleep as possible. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much, Jamie. That was Adar Shah. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss colon health and your digestion on The Tonic. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Center is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8,300-square-foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy, and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage, and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory, plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments, and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. 
Nadia Kotsos is the owner of Drink Juice Co., a boutique shop in Leaside, Toronto, who is a holistic nutritionist. She deals with total body health to promote preventative measures for a balanced, well-lived life. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. So today, we're right in your wheelhouse. We're going to talk about digestion and your colon health and all those squishy things, yeah? Perfect. That's my favorite topic. So let's start with a real simple question, and that is, how do you know when you're not really digesting your food properly? So not digesting your food properly can show in many different ways. It can show in you eating something and having stomach pain right away, being bloated, not feeling comfortable, feeling tired and like you have to sleep right away. So that's how I would tell somebody. I'd say, okay, you're not digesting your food optimally if that's how you feel right away. Okay. And there are other ways to sort of tell if perhaps our digestive system isn't working properly. And that requires a look at at something people don't usually like to look at, right? That's right. The poop. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, if one was inclined to look at their poop, what sort of things should they be looking for? And keep in mind, this is a PG audience. (laughs) So a normal healthy poop would be like in one piece, smooth, not broken down and hard. I see a lot of clients for digestive health, actually, and your poop will tell you different things. So if you're having like very thin pencil-like poop, it's typically because you're stressed out and your organs are really tight. If it's hard and in balls, maybe you're not getting enough fiber, water, enough good healthy fats like omega-3s, and if it's a loose type of stool. It could be that you're not getting enough fiber or your large intestine isn't working at its optimal. Right. And and there's a huge range of, you know, what constitutes, you know, regularity and, and, and a healthy cycle, right? Like, you know, a lot of people say once a day, but it can be much more or less than that. And you're still within the healthy realm, right? In my opinion, I think that you should be going at least once a day. And it's all about the meals that you eat. If you're eating three meals a day, I'd say the healthy person is having to bowel movements because you want your bowel movements to be when you eat something you're going to the bathroom a few hours later okay let's move on from poo let's talk Mm -hmm. about how you look as a person if you're not digesting properly because you you know i think you're of the view that you can sort of look at somebody and, and tell if perhaps something's wrong yeah yeah for sure for me I, when I was growing up, I had digestive issues, but I never knew I had digestive issues because nobody ever taught me to look at that and look at what I was eating. And my skin was a mess. I had cystic acne all over my face, on my back. I think that that's a huge sign that somebody has poor digestion. Mm-hmm. Anyone with like any type of skin condition, bloating, tired, I think all those are telltale signs that somebody's not digesting their food properly or not eating the right foods. Okay. So if if we have bloating or signs of poor digestion, what does that mean for our colon health? So colon health is a word and a topic that people bring up often, but I don't think that they know exactly what they're talking about. So our large intestine, it does more than just make us go to the bathroom. Our large intestine's main job is to actually reabsorb water and put it back into our body. So if somebody has poor colon health, water and water is a huge thing that I would tell them that they should probably start drinking a lot more of. Having proper healthy fats 
and not eating things like dairy, cheeses, all that stuff that's going to cause a lot more mucus in, in the large intestine. Okay. And if we have poor digestion or, you know, if, if our health, our colon health is poor, how does that manifest for the rest of the body? That can manifest in ways like, like I was saying, just discomfort, being tired. And I, I tell my clients that have poor digestion, they really have to focus on their, their diet. There's something called food combining. Mm-hmm. which I'm a really big advocate on. It's helped me a lot. And it's just the way that our body digests food properly. So in our mouth, we break down things like carbs. In our stomach, we need to break down our proteins more. And in the small intestine is where we're going to absorb all the nutrients, but also help break down fat. So when we're combining foods like carbs, and proteins, that's when we're going to run into those digestive issues just from the foods that we're eating. Because what's happening is our mouth is digesting the carbs, our stomach needs more time to digest protein. But when we combine the two, our stomach sphincter is going to open up prematurely and say, okay, we've done our job here. We can open this up and let it go into the small intestine. But now the protein isn't digested properly. And that's when we're going to feel bloated. The HCL in our stomach hasn't broken down that protein properly and we'll have discomfort. Okay. So I know that part of what you do is sort of help people sort of get their digestion back on track. So one of the things that I I know you do is is resetting the digestive tract. How is that done? What does that mean? So there's many ways to do it. How I do it at my stores, we focus on like juice cleanses and making sure that we're taking everything out of our diet that can cause those types of discomfort to reset our body and then from there when you feel great you start to eat great afterwards so once you're finished your juice cleanse which can be anywhere from one to as many days as you like then you go back to eating a healthy diet which would consist of lots of greens proteins and carbs but mix combining them properly so i always combine my proteins with my greens my carbs with my greens or my even my fruits Okay. And that's how I'd go around that. Is there a specific diet that you would recommend that is good for colon health? Definitely, yeah. So eating fresh vegetables, fruits, nothing from a box, nothing from a bag or a can, anything that we can get from a box or a bag, we can make ourselves at home. So I really push whole foods. Juices are obviously going to help immensely because you're going to absorb everything that much more. It's going to go straight into your blood system. So you're absorbing all those micronutrients without anything stopping you from absorbing it. So a lot of people, if they they have any digestive issues and they're eating food, sometimes they're not absorbing everything because their intestinal tract isn't working optimally. Okay. Another thing I would actually suggest is like a tea, like a tea tox, or they call it. So with the tea toxes, you're actually eating foods your regular diet, but you're just adding a tea in the morning and a tea at night. What kind of tea are we talking about? Are we talking about... uh... All herbal teas. Okay. Yeah. Is there a particular type of herbal tea for each person, or is there just a general tea that you would recommend for this? Yeah, I would recommend a general tea. I sell one at my store. It's called Nutrient Dose. You can find it actually cheaper online. It's nutrientdose.com. And there's something called the Step One Bundle. And that I really recommend for digestion. And it allows you to keep up with your diet, eating foods. They give you a list of foods to eat and foods to avoid. 
and you're just drinking one tea in the morning for your liver, kidney, and metabolism. And then at night, you're having a tea that's more directed to your large intestine, your colon. It has fiber in there, which is really cool. I really like those teas. Okay, let's discuss some other things that people can take that might help them with their digestion and colon health. So I, I'm, I'm told that aloe vera might be relevant. Can you explain whether that's true? Oh or Yes, definitely. Aloe vera saved my life. So when I was younger, like I said, I had those digestive issues. And after doing a lot of research, changing my diet, aloe, I met a man in Florida who actually taught me how to make the aloe water that I make in my store to this day. And if you feel bloated or you have any digestive issues, a bottle of that, and it's like a magic eraser. How does it taste? Does it taste okay? Yeah, so the aloe water (laughs) (laughs) tastes way better than my aloe shots, I'll tell you that. Okay. All right, so do you have to hold your nose while you're drinking? Definitely with the shots. The aloe shots are very bitter. The aloe water, as long as you keep it cold, it's good. If it warms up a little bit. Not so much, huh? Not so much, no. (laughs) So a lot of people talk about bone broth. What are your feelings on that? I love it. I actually, I make it at my store as well. Bone broth is incredible, and it's amazing for the digestive system. You can't get everything out of the vegetables and the fruits that I have there. You're going to get some awesome minerals from the bones that we use. So it's going to be great for rebuilding the digestive tract, helping anyone who has leaky gut, anyone with any type of digestive issues. It just, again, it's when we're drinking liquid, it's going to go straight into the bloodstream. It really helps our body rust and repair. What are the nutrients that are in the bone broth that you wouldn't find in a vegetable-based juice? Yeah, so you're actually getting a lot more minerals. So you're getting everything from the bone marrow that's going to be in there. You're going to get a lot of collagen. It's harder to get collagen from plants. It's mm-hmm. possible, of course, but you're going to get it. You're going to obtain it a lot easier from the bone marrow and the joint in the bones. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. That was Nadia Kotsos. Thank you so much. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss wound care during COVID-19 on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. Gentlemen, are prostate problems spoiling your day or waking you up at night? Ladies, are you tired of these disruptions? Discover Prostate Perform. Formulated with clinically proven natural ingredients, Prostate Perform helps reduce the frequency and urgency of men's bathroom breaks. Why wait? 
Prostate Perform relieves symptoms of BPH in men so you can both get back to enjoying your favorite activities. Available exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. And to ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest is Dr. Hans Clark. He's the Director of Pain Services at the Toronto General Hospital and on staff at Rouge Valley Hyperbaric Medical Center. He's also the Research Chair for the University of Toronto Centre for the Study of Pain. Dr. Clark's research interests include the transition from acute to chronic pain and hyperbaric medicine. Welcome back to the show, Doctor. How are you? Not too bad, Jamie. Thanks for having me once again. Well, you know, we've talked about opioid treatments in the past, but we're going to switch over to one of your other areas of expertise, and that is hyperbaric treatment. What is hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Well, what does it look like? Yeah, so it's a great question. So what it looks like for a patient is either a dive in a singular kind of tube chamber that simulates you being kind of in a submarine, and so diving you underwater, so to speak, but clearly you're in a completely safe, oxygen-rich environment. And what does this actually do? It drives up the amount of oxygen in your blood. It's been said to, you know, have anti-inflammatory properties, increase or stimulate tissue growth, blood vessel growth. So, you know, it's been said to stimulate blood vessel growth, anti-inflammatory, antibiotic properties, and even uh, reduce things like swelling. Okay. And so is it a change in the air pressure along with an oxygen-rich environment, or is it just that it's sort of like secluding you to an oxygen-rich environment? Yeah, great question. So, you know, what's the concentration that we breathe in the air? It's about 21%. When you're in one of these chambers, it is completely 100%. And so what that does, it drives up the amount of oxygen delivered to tissues. And when you think about what the biggest issue for wounds that aren't healing is often the delivery of oxygen. So I, I need to make it clear, though, Jamie, that hyperbaric oxygen is never the definitive treatment for anything except decompression sickness. Right. And so what it is for most patients is, you know, a modality that improves the success or enhances in con- connection with good comprehensive team. So, you know, if you have a wound, you need to make sure you're on the right antibiotics and you have uh, an appropriate infectious disease doc. You need your vascular surgeons or your plastic surgeons involved if you need a debridement. You know, if you have radiation proctitis, your gastroenterologist or your urologist, if you have a bleeding bladder after radiation for prostate cancer, these are all things that are out there and and people just uh, need to understand more the value of adding a hyperbaric treatment course to some of the ongoing uh, modalities. That's interesting. So you're talking about sort of post-op issues, but a lot of what the hospitals and clinics are treating are wounds in Ontario. Is that right? Correct. So, you know, the the average spend in Ontario is about, if I'm not mistaken, $1.5 billion on an annual basis is what our province spends in wounds. And I'll be honest with you, for the most part, the community-based care is pretty fragmented and, you know, often it, it takes a lot longer. So I think one of the areas that would be nice to see is some education for patients in the community and, and improving some of the pathways for care and obviously building the evidence base to show what those best pathways are and certainly hyperbaric can play a role in that. Okay. So what are some of the other things that you think would be efficacious? So there's no doubt that, you know, for example, a complex multidisciplinary team, if you have someone that has, you know, a struggling wound, ensuring that there is a center that one can do the debridement, two can have the uh, wound assessed and and dressed in the appropriate antibiotics uh, being prescribed, etc., And, you know, enabling patients to just have the knowledge of where and how these things are are being put together. 
So hyperbaric medicine, you say, is an effective treatment for many wounds. How does that work? Why is it important to get oxygen to the wound, for example? So it's an adjunctive treatment. And the reason it's important is, you know, for, for example, there are many reasons why that wound is struggling. One could be from a vascular flow, so a problem with actually driving the blood concentration into those tissues. And by driving up the oxygen, you're actually driving more into the diseased wound bed or the actual wound bed itself. Ensuring that you get it continually cleaned ensures that you have good granulation tissue and that tissue can continue to stimulate and be healed, and that oxygen helps with that as well. And uh, there's some data to show that hyperbaric as well as appropriate antibiotics. So in the case of individuals with osteomyelitis in particular, uh, so anybody with a bone infection, to be clear as to what osteomyelitis is, that HBOT or hyperbaric with antibiotics almost has a 30% improvement in terms of penetration and uh, showing a reduction in neutrophils and things of that nature. So there's certainly solid evidence out there to show that in adjunctive medication to a bigger program, it is something that should be utilized. Okay. And I presume at the clinic that you work at, there is a multidisciplinary team that can help you? Yes. Got our, you know, we've got our nurse practitioners, our physicians, and we have a general internists as well as our surgeons here that can also help take a look at wounds. Is this a referral-based paradigm, or is this something like if you're interested, you can call up the clinic, and is it is it covered? So, so you know, this is this is a, a referral-based clinic. Uh, if you have some questions around care, uh, we'll certainly be able to field those questions. But mo- almost all of our patients are referred in from their specialists, uh, the urologists, gastroenterologists, their ID physicians, their surgeons in particular, the vascular surgeons and some plastic surgeons. Some of the things that we haven't touched on are if you have a, you know, a, a flap or a graft that you've just surgically done and, and those are struggling, we've had some fantastic success with some of those types of patients. And so quite often the patients are referred in. So I understand one of the spin-off effects of COVID is there's lower blood oxygen levels, right? Just because it attacks the lungs, et cetera. Is hyperbaric being used in conjunction with COVID treatments or is COVID impacting the efficacies of, of yeah, the treatment? It's funny you ask that. You know, we, we are actually in the midst of putting together a multinational hyperbaric study to look at COVID and we're in the midst of the second wave. And yep. I can tell you there are some applications right now at CIHR and looking for funding here in Canada and elsewhere to get some of these studies. We have a centre in the UK, a centre in Australia, that would like to do uh, some of these studies. And there's some good early evidence to show that one of the things that we were doing early on was intubating patients a little prematurely. Right. And these, you know, with a, in a hyperbaric environment, there's no better oxygen-rich environment than a hyperbaric chamber. And so these are patients, you know, in that second stage. But again, this is all, uh, you know, under the research auspices. So we're not yet able to say that this is a definitive treatment. It's certainly something we want to look at. The clinic's been open for a while. Have you noticed that COVID is impacting what's going on and who you're treating? Oh, wow. I mean, you know, you you started earlier and you mentioned I have a couple of hats and the pain world being uh, the other one. And I can tell you that there's no doubt that some of the stories that are unfortunately uh, being not told are just what's COVID doing uh, in terms of the isolation that many patients are feeling. And and their, you know, their real loss of access to care. We're seeing, as you know, numbers in the province in terms of opioid overdoses continue to climb. Suicides are, are climbing and patients really are struggling to access the care they need. And and there's no doubt that every area of medicine is is suffering, mental health in particular, but wound care is no different. And so we're seeing patients that just aren't 
really being able to, to get the appropriate care that they need. And, and that's one of the reasons we're looking at building a, a better multidisciplinary kind of debridement program. We're seeing the wounds festering a little bit longer. And, and obviously, people are afraid to come into the hospital environment for good reason. But we need to start figuring out how we help those, you know, affected. And, and you know, 65% of all patients that have a chronic wound that will tell us that, you know, their quality of life has been reduced. They have worsening anxiety, depression, and a lot of them suffer with moderate to severe chronic pain. And so these are all things that everyone is dealing with in society just from an isolation standpoint, but folks walking around with chronic wounds are even amplified. So we've had other guests on to talk about telemedicine and, you know, obviously it has its advantages and drawbacks too. Are you finding that wound care is impacted by telemedicine? Are you able to function and treat wounds in this current environment? Yeah, so hats off to the government for allowing us to do as much telemedicine as we're doing. You know, without it, really, patients would really, really be in a tough place. And so being able to pick up the phone or go log on to the Ontario Telehealth Network and see patients is great, but you can't treat a wound by looking at it. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so this is one of those areas where it's great to have the contact, but we still need to see the patients to debride the wounds, to treat the wounds, to put them in the chambers. And so, you know, this is just one of those places where telemedicine is great. It's just not enough. What other supports do you think are necessary to help people with chronic wounds? You know, uh, the typical care pathway in terms of education and having them know what's out there. Creating, I think, even a more centralized process, maybe. Uh, this is not, this is a bit above my uh, level, but, you know, with the LINs and, yeah. and now the Ontario main kind of 12 hubs that they're talking about building and really looking at what an improved pathway is, as we know that this $1.5 billion mark is not going to stay there. Uh, it's $3.9 billion in Canada. So uh, I can only imagine what that number will continue to climb in the province. Okay. If our listeners think that the hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatment might be appropriate for them, where can they find more information? Yeah. So, you know, the, the first place, the most probably reputable place is Health Canada. Health Canada has a full web page on hyperbaric oxygen therapy so that people understand what's out there. The second place is uh, hyperbaric.ca, which is our, you know, our clinical website uh, for the Rouge Valley Hyperbaric Medical Center. And uh, that would be the next place that I think that they could get some important information from. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Jamie. It was a pleasure as usual. That was Dr. Hans Clark. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Andrea Donsky, Dr. Nadia Kotsos, ND, Adarsh Shah, and Dr. Hans Clark. And thank you all for listening to this Sonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and contact information for our guests and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The September-October issue is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. And truthfully, I do love getting your emails. Next week on the show, we'll discuss how garlic can help you boost your immunity, men's health, tips for cooking from online recipes, and hyperfrontality and mindfulness. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.